right. Well, good morning, Doxa. It is good to see you guys today. If you have your Bible, go ahead and grab it and open up to the Gospel of Luke chapter 9, okay? We're, we're back into our, our study of, of Luke's Gospel today, and, and really what we're going to be looking at today is, is the question of what does it take to be on the road with Jesus, all right? In other words, we're, we're talking about the, the cost uh, of discipleship, okay? And we're just going to get right to work because we got a lot to, to cover today. If you can't tell, I got a head cold and um, a little bit high from all the medicine, so I really need to get off the stage before I say something I regret, okay? So, no, we're just going to get right to work, Luke chapter 9, okay? But uh, I'll tell you this as you get there, okay, that this is a, a major hinge point, a major turning point in, in Luke's gospel, that for, for much of, of Jesus's life and ministry, everything that we've been seeing this, up to this point, uh, it hinges on what we see in chapter 9, verse 51, all right? Because for Jesus... This is the moment that he, he truly stakes his claim, all right? This is the moment where he determines his future. And in effect, what we're going to see today is, is Jesus saying, this is who I am. This is where I'm going. This is what I'm doing. And really, this is what I'm all about, all right? And here's what we see, all right? Luke chapter 9, verse 51 is where we're going to start. He says, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face. And I want you to underline this. He set his face to go to Jerusalem. All right, now we're going to stop there, okay? Because while we're going to go through the rest of this chapter, this is where we have to camp out for, for just a minute because this is a major turning point in the gospel. And here's how we should understand this, okay? Up until this moment, all right, Luke has been presenting to us Jesus by, by looking at his identity and showing us his overall authority as, as Lord and King. That Jesus has presented himself through his, both his words and his actions to be God incarnate, okay? This is Luke's whole thing that he's been kind of paving the way up until this point. And here, as Jesus sets his face to go to Jerusalem, guys, there's this seismic shift that's happening. And really what's happening is we've been studying this gospel, we've been learning about Jesus and his identity and his authority, and what's happening here is another layer is being added on to our understanding of who Jesus is and what he's all about, and this is such a big turning point in Luke because from here on out, guys, that is until the middle of the 19th chapter, Jesus is on the road. All right, and as you read this gospel, it's not always apparent, but 10 times in the next 10 chapters leading up to his arrival in Jerusalem in the middle of the 19th chapter, Jesus is on the road. And he's on the road traveling to Jerusalem. And it's so important to know this, guys, because I want you to know that as we go through this, starting today, each step that Jesus takes from this moment on and each event that we see occur, guys, is in the light of what's going to transpire in Jerusalem, starting in, in Luke 19, where our text says, look back here, that he will be taken up, all right? And when, he, when Luke says that the days drew near for him to be taken up, guys, this is pointing to his return to heaven, that after Jesus's, his betrayal, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, Jesus would ascend back into heaven, and he would go back to where he came from as God, all right? And here, as Jesus sets his face to Jerusalem, Luke begins to switch his focus a little bit, all right? That he's been showing us that he's God, and now he's going to be focusing in on Jesus in his suffering, in his death, in his resurrection, which is really just being announced to us right now. And so when we hear these words, guys, we need to understand that Jesus is going to Jerusalem for the purpose 
of his crucifixion, that he's beginning his, his walk right now to go and to die, which is ultimately for our salvation. And I want you guys to, we can't move past this too quick, okay? Because we've got to see the wording that Luke uses here, because it's truly something that when we understand it, it it's something for us to appreciate and to, to love it, that wells up in us in worship, wonder, awe, and praise when we get this, okay? Because this wording, look back to this, how Jesus set his face to Jerusalem, all right, it's actually a very strong wording in the original Greek that we can read this and be like, okay, he's, he's looking at Jerusalem. That's, that's great. But really in the Greek, this word set, it literally means to have this tenacious, unwavering resolve to do something. And this is what Jesus is doing here. That it be, as he begins to walk towards his death in Jerusalem, guys, he does so with the resolve of steel. All right, this unwavering resolve. And with this unstoppable resolve, he sets his eyes towards the cross in Jerusalem where he's gonna go and to die and he will atone for the sins of the world and he will die for our sin and our salvation. And he will present himself to be our savior and our God. And I don't want us to move too quickly past this, guys, because you need to know this about Jesus as it relates to you. I don't care if you're a Christian and you popped out of the womb and your first word was Jesus, or if you're sitting here and you're trying to figure it out and you're, we all have something to, to, to stop and to think about when we think about this. All right, guys, in the midst of your sin, I want you to know this, in the midst of your sin and my sin and your rebellion and your unfaithfulness and your brokenness, Jesus resolved to die for you. Let that sink in. This is the gospel that we never move past. This is the gospel that we cannot graduate from. This is the simple truth that Jesus died for you. And it does something in the life of someone who understands what this actually means. And so for you, even as you think past, back to this past week, all right, you think about your, your thoughts and your actions. You think about the sin that maybe you're living in. You think about the times when you were most broken and most ashamed in the ways that you were most far away from Jesus and his words and his word, ways. You know this, that Jesus knew that about you in eternity past and he decided that you were worth it. And he went on the road to death to save you from your sin and to save you from yourself. This is Jesus. All right, if this were a movie, all right, if you guys like movies, this is the, the epic scene where the hero, right, kind of just stands up. It's leading to the climax of the story, and he's determining, right? He makes this epic stand, and he determines, I'm going to do anything that it takes, right, to, to defeat the enemy and rescue those who need salvation. This is Jesus. Guys, it's an awesome picture, okay? This little verse in the middle of Luke's gospel is this epic stand by Jesus, and he's doing this. And so I want you to remember this, guys. As we move forward in our study of Luke's gospel, it's going to take us to the summer, all right, as Jesus sets his eyes to Jerusalem, he did it with you in mind. And he's walking to defeat sin, death, and hell so that we can experience eternal life with him through faith. This is Jesus. Now, as Jesus begins this, this death march, okay, he's got some guys with him. He's always got guys with him. These are his disciples, okay? And Jesus, he knows exactly what he's doing, right? He knows he, he's walking towards Jerusalem. He knows that he's walking towards his death. But his disciples, if you ever have read the Gospels, you oftentimes wonder, like, how do they get this wrong, right? They just, they don't know what's going on. They think they know what's going on, but they miss it, all right? That, that really, they did not know what Jesus was, was doing. Even if you rewind back to verse 44 in Luke chapter 9, look back with me. All right, Jesus showed them this warning in verse 44. Right after the transfiguration, he said this, let these words sink into your ears. Verse 44, the son of man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, but they did not understand. 
All right, the disciples, they didn't understand really what was going on. And because of their lack of understanding of what was about to happen to Jesus, Jesus began to teach them. All right, and he starts to teach them about the demands for the road that they're walking on with Jesus. And as he teaches them, guys, he's ultimately teaching us because as we talked about last week, when the Bible speak, speaks, God speaks. And it's profitable for us. And so there's something for every single one of us to grab hold of today that's gonna affect our, our, the way that we walk out of here with God and towards eternity. All right, so he's teaching us. And here's the thing. I want you to write this in the column of your Bible right next to this passage. What does it take to be on the road with Jesus? That's the question. And this is what we're looking at. All right, what does it take to be on the road with Jesus? And this is what we're gonna see. And, and honestly, guys, some of the stuff that, that Jesus is gonna say is, is pretty radical. And, and it can be discouraging for, for some people that don't really, haven't really grabbed hold of the meaning of the gospel. And even for me, as I, I have prepared to preach this, there was this temptation that, man, I need to try and tame this down a little bit because I want you guys to enjoy this so you come back next week, right? Like if I say something too hard, it's gonna be like, okay, me and my kids sitting here and they don't even wanna be here, right? And it's just like, what the heck, right? But I can't, I can't do that. I'm not gonna do that. Right? Because we don't have the liberty to change Jesus' words here. We don't have the liberty to change his tone. And I'm assuming that as you gather here with us as a Doxa family, we're gathering here so we can hear the words of God, hard or not, because we know that ultimately, even if it's difficult, it's for our good. And this is the, why, the reason why we preach the way that we do, right? So that we can, we're not tempted to, to skip over the hard things that Jesus says because we know it's for our good. And so we ask the question, guys, what does it take to be on the road with Jesus? And guys, it's this, all right? It's all about a shift in our perspective and putting Jesus first. That's it. The seemingly basic thing that he's gonna show us, it's so hard to do. And today we're gonna see a group of people called the Samaritans and their reaction to Jesus, and then really Jesus, the disciples' reaction to them. And then we're gonna get a snapshot of three individuals that Jesus meets on the road, all of which, as we watch these interactions, we're gonna have so much that we can take away. But first, look at this, the Samaritans and the disciples. Verse 52, take a look. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. Verse 53, I want you to underline this verse. But the people did not receive him. They rejected him, why? Because his face was set to Jerusalem. Okay. Now what's going on here is this, okay? As Jesus is walking towards Jerusalem, he's been doing the majority of his ministry in Galilee, okay? The quickest route from Galilee to Jerusalem is right through this region of Samaria. And we'll talk more about Samaria, the Samaritans in, the, in Samaria next week, but here's what you need to know today, okay? Among the Jews and the Samaritans, there was just this intense hatred for one another. All right, it was, it was basically a, a type of racism and discrimination. And this all began in 722 BC when the Assyrians conquered the area of Samaria. Of Samaria. All right, and as they, the Assyrians conquered Samaria, they began to intermarry, they had kids. And what happened is that these Jews that were living in Samaria, as they had kids, the Jews looked at these people and they began to say, these are the type of like, like offshoot of us, right? They're, they're kind of half-breeds and we don't like what they're doing. They're religious apostates, meaning they've, they've left the Jewish way. And so this hatred started to well up. These two groups didn't like each other at all. And because of this, this intense hatred for each other, it's, it's really not a surprise that the Samaritans would reject Jesus and they would reject the Jewish people along with Jesus along the way, right? But here's how this went down, okay? 
as Jesus is, is walking from Galilee to, to Jerusalem, he, he rolls into Samaria and he sends out, it was common to send out messengers ahead of the crowd, ahead of the group traveling, so they could find a place for them to sleep and to eat that night. All right, and as they go into Samaria, these messengers, they're ahead of Jesus and the disciples, they go into this Samaritan village and they say, hey, guys, Jesus is coming. All right, he's going to Jerusalem and he's got a bunch of guys with him and we could really use a place to sleep and to eat and to hang out tonight. Can you, can you help us out? And the Samaritans, as they hear this, they hear that he's going to Jerusalem, right? Because if you look back to the text, they rejected him because why? He's going to Jerusalem. Because they hear Jerusalem and they start thinking about the place and the people that they hated. And they say, you know what? We could probably make room for all you guys but we really don't want Jesus because if he's going to Jerusalem, this means that he's about the things that we're not about. That we have our own traditions, we have our own Bible, we have our own theology, we have our own view of life, our own view of the way that we view God, and if he cannot validate our view of God and all the reality that we live in, he can't stay here. And they rejected him. Now, to get it practical, guys, here's how you can think of the Samaritans. All right, the Samaritans were like people today who really, you know, you like the idea of Jesus as long as he validates your view of life. Right? They're like people today that they're fine with Jesus. They're, they're fine with the church as long as he doesn't say anything that they disagree with. But you got to ask that question, okay, and I'll ask you, what if Jesus doesn't support your view of life that you currently have? What if he doesn't support your, your spiritual preferences or he doesn't support your political agenda or he doesn't support your, your sexual orientation? What if he says, you know what, that's not it. I know that you feel that way and I know that you think that way, but that's not quite the way it is. You're gonna need to lay that down. You're gonna need to change the way that you think and follow me. Would you be willing to receive Jesus or would you reject him like the Samaritans did? And so many people, guys, say that, man, I like Jesus and I'm totally fine as long as he supports what I believe. And this is the Samaritans, right? They're thinking we have a totally different view of theology, our view of politics and policies. Jesus isn't going to submit to that. He's not going to affirm it. And so he's not welcome here. And as they do that, and as many people in our city do that, they miss out on fellowship and friendship with Jesus as Savior. And guys, I know that in, a, in our city, in the age group of the demographic and makeup of our church, that there's some of you here today that you're prone to do that. That in our postmodern world of relativism, you, you say, man, I'm fine with Jesus as long as he doesn't act like he's God in my life. I'm fine with Jesus as long as he doesn't act like I'm in charge. I'm even fine with this church. It's cool. But the minute you say that I'm wrong, the minute that you say that I'm broken, the minute you say that my actions and my thoughts are sinful, I'm out. And you walk away and you reject Jesus. And if that's you, if you're prone to this, guys, just let me say that the heart cry of God says, please don't do that. You're missing out on fellowship and friendship with Jesus, your Savior, if you do that. This was the Samaritans. Because guys, you gotta understand this. Being on the road with Jesus means that we follow him. We listen to his words, we watch his ways as God and regardless of what we think, regardless of what we think we know about life, regardless of what we feel emotionally when certain things come up around us, 
we know that it's, it's about humility, that we're not God, that there is a God and, and we're not him. And so we look to him and we humble ourselves. Guys, don't let pride get in your way from experiencing the Savior. It's not about what we think is right and true. We listen to God and we submit and follow him. So the Samaritans, they, they reject Jesus. Now, I want you to look at the response of the disciples from this rejection from the Samaritans. Look at verse 54. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, James and John and elsewhere, they're, they're called the sons of thunder, okay? So you can get a little bit about their personality by the sons of thunder, okay? But they saw it, and what did they say? Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But Jesus turned, and he rebuked them, and they went to another village. Now, notice James and John in this, okay? They see this rejection, and they're like, okay, that's cool. You guys don't want Jesus? Fine, it's time to burn, right? I'm just going to call hot fire down, and it's going to be a great day, right? And it's just like pretty far away from Jesus, right? But these guys in this moment, they just miss it. They're, they're out of step, right? These these guys that stand in the, store, the corner of like the, the fairs and the markets with like the burn shirts and the fire and the signs and all that stuff, and you just want to like throw stuff at them, right? Because they just, there's something not quite right about them, right? This is them in this moment. They're not super loving. They're not super like Jesus. And as they ask Jesus, should I call down fire? I'm assuming these, these are Jewish guys, and so they're probably thinking back to 2 Kings chapter 1. If you remember the story of Elijah being confronted with the prophets of Baal and some soldiers, they're threatening Elijah's life, and Elijah just goes, you know what? Fire come down, and God sends fire down, and he kills the soldiers and saves Elijah's life. And so these disciples, I love their confidence, right? I, I love how they're like, you know what? I remember Elijah doing that. I bet you we can, Jesus, are you cool? Because I can do it right now. Just say the word and I will call down fire, right? They're, they're, they understand it, but their application was totally off, all right? Because in this moment, Elijah was there and he was threatening to be killed and God rescued him by sending fire. These guys, they were just rejected. It was hardly the same offense, and they respond totally out of step with the Spirit of God. And Jesus rebukes them. Because why? Because they didn't get it. Guys, turn back to Luke 6 real quick. In verse 27, Jesus had just been telling them about this. Right? And, and they always forget. Right? They're, they're so forgetful. But Jesus had just told these people. In, in Luke 6, 27, his disciples, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies... Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. I mean, literally, they just were told this, and now they have an opportunity to put it into practice, and they just totally ignore it, and they miss it. And Jesus rebukes them because of their lack of love. And I don't know about you, but I'm always surprised by the patience that Jesus has, probably because I try and put myself in that place, and I'm like, if, what, you know, like, I wonder if Jesus was thinking, you guys are driving me freaking nuts, right? If fire is going to come for anyone, maybe it'll come for you, right? But they're driving them crazy. But these, they don't get it. They hear the words of Jesus, but they don't do anything with it. And they act out of their flesh and out of their sin and what they think is right. Because what they should have been doing is, is not calling for the fire of condemnation to come and pursue, consume these people and kill them, but they should have, their instinct should have been the call that the, that the fire of the Holy Spirit would come and allow these people to come to God. But because the time of condemnation and judgment had not come yet, it's the time of salvation that Jesus was marching towards Jerusalem where he would be put on the cross for the condemnation of the world. But right now as we're living, it's the day of salvation. 
And they should have been saying, okay, we want these people to know God. Let's, let's ask that God would change their heart. But they were missing it. And so this is what you need to know, guys. If you're going to be on the road with Jesus and share in his life, in his ministry and mission, we have to be filled with mercy. We have to be merciful people. And that word mercy, guys, it means that we're forgiving and we're compassionate people just like Jesus. That being on the road with Jesus requires to, us to be the type of people that the, the world around us is not. That we forgive those who don't forgive us. We forgive those who wrong us. We forgive those who reject us. We forgive those who, who do things to hurt us. And we forgive and love so much and so often because this is what Jesus has done to us through the gospel. And this is part of what it means to be on the road with Jesus. To be merciful. And not just merciful, but compassionate. right? Which is just mercy in action. That as we look at people around us, we seek to live towards them as though Jesus were in our body, in our circumstance, living towards them as well. And we love on them and we're compassionate. Guys, this is what it looks like in part to be on the road with Jesus. And I'll ask you the question, guys, is this you? As you're walking on the road with Jesus, are you hearing the same rebuke today? Is your life marked with mercy and love and compassion? Because our church, if we're going to be on the road with Jesus, guys, we need to be merciful towards people. Because as we move into this passage here, Jesus is going to say that following him isn't just accepting an invitation, but it's taking action and seeking to become more and more like him. And what he does, starting in verse 57, is he pairs this call for mercy with a strong stance on commitment in action. And we see this in, starting in verse 57 through the end of the chapter. I'll read it. Look at this. Verse 57. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Verse 61, yet another one said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those in my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So what we have here, guys, is, is a glimpse of three different people, all right? Three prospective followers of Jesus that Jesus has something to say to as, as he encounters them on, on this road. And as we look at these interactions, guys, there's something about each one of their postures that, that really help us when we think about what does it take to be on the road with Jesus, all right? But as, as a way of prefacing this, I need to say this, okay? Some of the things that Jesus says here can, can seem like pretty harsh, Right? Especially that comment to the man who wants to first go and bury his dad. Right? I mean, it seems like a pretty basic request, but then you hear Jesus say, no, let the dead bury the dead. You just come with me. But there's something that we need to keep in mind as we read this, okay? And it's this. As you read the Bible, you've got to understand that Jesus always dealt with people as individuals, and he still does. For example, as he interacts with people, like if you remember the encounter with the rich young ruler in Luke chapter 18... He says things to this rich young ruler that can seem strange to us that are very specific to this rich young ruler because Jesus knew that there was an issue in his life. And the issue of money in this man's life was so significant and it preoccupied him in such a way that if Jesus put his finger there, that this man would be forced to choose between what was essentially the Lord of his life, his money, and Jesus as Lord and Savior standing right before him. 
And so what he does is he speaks to this rich young ruler in such a way, and he says things that he doesn't usually say to other individuals. And the reason is, is he's addressing him as an individual. And he, that he, knew, he knows things. Jesus knows things as he interacts with these people. Remember, this is actually happening. This is history, right? This isn't just a story. The, Jesus is interacting with these real people as he's on the road. And as he interacts with these people, he knows that there's things that are going on in these people's lives that are under the surface that don't even make it to the pages of Scripture here in Luke that he needs to address. And he points out. And guys, and I, and I say that to say this. It would be wrong for us to take Jesus' statements here and say this is exactly what we need to do. All right, for example, it would just be a complete misapplication of the Bible for someone to say, you know what, as a Christian, I don't go to non-Christian funerals. Right? And some people could say that. They, they would say, well, I don't go to Christian, non-Christian's funerals. Well, why not? Well, because of what Jesus says in Luke chapter 9. Because that is a misapplication of the Bible. He's speaking to an individual about a specific circumstance of which we can learn from the overarching point. And the overarching point and principle with these three people is this, is this. It's a call of urgency. It's all about a cost to being on the road with Jesus. And so this is the issue, guys, and don't miss, miss this, okay? Being on the road with Jesus involves an urgency and a cost. Remember that. It's an urgency and a cost. So let's quickly look at these, th these three people. All right, this first guy seems to be just really eager to follow Jesus, all right? Verse 57, take a look. And as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go, all right? And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. And, and honestly, we don't know a ton about this guy, but he's probably just wrapped up in the crowd, Right? He's wrapped up in the miracles and the excitement, and he just wanted to be close to the action, and so he shows up to Jesus and says, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. And this wouldn't have been uncommon, right? that his rabbis would have went and th stuff would have been happening all around him, and people would just be like, I want to be close to the action, I'm, I'm with you. All right? Just like it's not uncommon today that there may be somebody here, that you're here because you're, you're wrapped up with something new, or you met somebody who said that they're a Christian and part of the Doxa Church, and you're like, well, you don't seem that weird, I'll come, right? And you're kind of cute, I'll do this, right? And you show up, just here, you're, you're wrapped up in the excitement, right? I don't know if that's true, but it seems like it could be, okay? But anyway, right, he's just wrapped up in this. He's caught up. And this desire is not wrong in itself, right? It's not wrong that he just wants to be around the action, but what he says to Jesus is he's just overly excited. He's like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I will follow you wherever you go. I'll do anything. And what does Jesus say to him? Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. And it's a pretty straightforward comment. But what he's saying, Jesus looks at this guy who's just really eager to follow him. And he says, if you really want to come on the road with me, you need to count the cost. And it really just appears that this guy has no idea of the road of suffering and death that Jesus is on. And Jesus just wants him to know that there's implications to following him and it's gonna cost you. The great evangelist Billy Graham once said that salvation is this free gift that costs me everything. And I want you to know that, guys. The Christian life is about a lot of things, but the Christian life is about death. Some of you guys, you've been taught that the Christian life is about abundant life and prospering and health and wealth and all that stuff. And while it is about life and life eternal, it's about death. 
And the whole paradox of the Christian faith is that no one can truly live until they've mastered the art of dying. It's about dying to self, about dying of sin, about dying to perversion, about dying to the things in your life that are not of God. That's what it's about. And death, guys, is painful. Jesus is on this road to death. He's suffering. And following Jesus means that there's things in your life, guys, and every single one of us, this applies to me and to you, there's every single one of us, there's things in your life that need to die and that you need to lay down and give up to follow Jesus and to be on the road with him. There's a cost and it's gonna hurt. If you're following Jesus and it doesn't hurt, you're probably not doing it right. Because there's things, for some of you, you're gonna say yes to Jesus and you're gonna be like, but wait, that means that my old patterns of sin and the way that I lived my life and all that stuff, like I gotta get rid of that? Well, that's gonna be really hard because that's like my identity. It's gonna cost you something, it's gonna hurt. You're like, but this is really fun. Like, I have a good time with this, right? And I I love to go out on the weekends and see what kind of trouble I can make and what kind of fun I can have and and do all this this different stuff. And you're telling me that that's antithetical to a life for God and doesn't bring God glory? Yeah, you got to lay that down. Well, that's hard. I don't don't know if I want to do that. There's a cost. It's not easy, guys, but it's always worth it. Following Jesus has a cost. Now, these next two guys... They're going to use the same language, all right? They're kind of the same guy with different issues, but they're both going to say, Jesus, I want to follow you, but first let me go and do this, all right? And what they're saying is, man, following you is, is really important to me, but I have other priorities in my life. And so if you can be my second priority, like I'm, I'm cool with that, but, but right now my, my first priority is, is my studies and my schooling. Right now my first priority is my career. I need to build a name for myself. My first priority, Jesus, is, is making money and getting a relationship, and I got to find a girl that likes me and so I can get married. That's my, my first thing. Now, after that, I will follow you. All right, but first, let me go take care of this one thing. But if you can take, like, the back seat just for a minute and se- accept, like, second position, that's great. This is the issue for these men. Now, look. Look at this second guy, verse 59. To another, he said, he invited, so this guy, this first guy was just like this eager guy who's like, let me follow you, I'll do anything. The second guy, Jesus invites, and he says, hey, follow me. What does this guy said? Lord, let me first go, there's the issue, first, and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, to understand this, right, this is kind of one of those things that you're just like, oh my gosh, what do you do with that? To understand this, guys, we, we need to understand some cultural things that are going on in this time, okay? In that day, it was very much expected of children to care for their parents as they aged, okay? That as they got older, the kids would, they were supposed to look out for their, their folks. As they were dying, they were supposed to be there with them. And as they died, there were very strict procedures of how the funeral actually went, okay? And so when this guy comes to Jesus, right, commentators will point out that, that when this guy says, Jesus, I, I totally want to follow you, but, but first let me go bury my dad, commentators will, will say that it's likely that this guy's dad is not dead and not even close to dying yet. Because if this guy's dad was, was in the process of dying, he would be with him. 
he wouldn't be walking around with Jesus. And if this, guy was actually, if this guy's dad was actually dead, he would be at the funeral. He wouldn't be walking with Jesus. And so likely what's going on here is that this guy's dad is nowhere near dead, that he's got maybe 10, 15, 20 more years to live. And so what he's telling Jesus is he's like, man, I, I want to follow you, but you know what? My, my parents, they're kind of devout Jews. And, and if I start following you and leave my responsibilities, they're going to freak out. All right, it's not going to be good. So what I'm going to do is let's just say, just, re, just remember me, all right? I'm the guy with the big head and the beard, okay? I'm going to come back in a couple years and I'll follow you, I promise, all right? But right now I got some stuff. I got to make sure my parents are set and, and they don't get too mad at me. This is what's going on. How about you? Some of us are, are like this. Some of you maybe are in this position of like, man, Jesus, I'm going to totally follow you and I'm going to be all in once I'm out of college. Right now, though, I'm studying. I got to get a career. I'm trying to live my life and have the, the college experience and do all these things, make a few mistakes that don't ruin everything, right? And I'm trying to do that. So right now, I can't really commit to following you. But when I like say like when I'm like 30, 35, like super old, okay, then I'll jump in because I'm going to have kids. I'm going to get married and, and I'll follow you because I'm going to be established. I'll get really serious about my relationship with Jesus. Some of you, you young professionals, Maybe not even young professionals. Some of you, you're, you've been in the business world for the last 30, 40 years, and you're, and you're thinking, man, when I get everything else lined up in my life, when things are secure, when I, when I have everything in order, when I have enough money, when I have a nest egg, and you know, once I kick my kids out of the house and my wife and I can go to Europe for 50 days, or I don't know, 50 days, I don't know how long you go for, but right, and you just want to take all these trips and do all this stuff, then when I have everything in line, then I will get really serious about following Jesus. And that day will come, but it's not today. But Jesus is saying in the face of this, being on the road with him, there needs to be a sense of urgency. A sense of urgency. And when he says, let the dead bury their own dead, he's not dishonoring his, telling him to dishonor parents, right? Jesus didn't do that, right? He didn't dishonor his mom. He took care of her. Even when he was dying, he looked at John and said, hey, care for my mother, right? He's honoring his mother. But what he's saying here is that even the most intimate and important things in your life need to come second to following Jesus. It's that urgent. We can almost hear the words in Luke 6:46 where Jesus says, "Why do you say and call me Lord, Lord and not do what I say?" Following Jesus is urgent. And then you come to this third guy, verse 61. Yet another says, "I will follow you, Lord." But let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus is pointing to the same thing. That there's nothing in your life that's so important that it should keep you and delay you from following Jesus. It's the same issue of first, yeah, Jesus, I'll follow you, but first, let me go back. And guys, I want you to know that the callings of God never leave a person where they are, but they always move them forward. This guy seems to be somewhat reluctant in following Jesus, right? He's, he's like, man, I, I think I need to do this, but, uh, and he's kind of like pumping the brakes a little bit. And Jesus is saying, you can't follow me while you're constantly looking behind you. I mean, this would be like the equivalent of you getting in your car and driving away from the Sheridan and trying to drive home while you're looking behind you in the rearview mirror. 
You're going to be all over the place. You might not even get to where you're going. This is what Jesus is saying. You cannot move forward with me if you're constantly looking back. I remember my life with Jesus. Like I became a Christian and I was immediately, I was so fortunate and it was a gift from God that I was discipled by, by just godly men. And I remember being like this, like one foot in and one foot out and kind of saying like, I understand the gospel and man, this is great. I need to move forward with Jesus. But there's some things back here that are really fun and it's part of who I am. And I don't want to fully let go of that. And I remember the guy who was discipling me, he took me to 1 Kings chapter 19. I'd encourage you to look back at that if you want to see this. But the calling of Elisha. Elijah shows up and he calls Elisha to be a prophet of God and to come follow him. And what does Elisha do, if you remember this? It seems so weird. But he had like a bunch of stuff and a bunch of farming stuff behind him. He lit it all on fire. He was like, okay, I'm going to follow Jesus. Naturally, I just need to let my my, light my farm on fire and destroy everything. Why in the world would he do that? Guys, I think he knew that there was something going to be so tempting to go back to. That he's like, if I can just light it on fire, I don't have anywhere else to go. I have to keep moving forward with Jesus. And I remember this in my life. That as I contemplated following Jesus, there were things behind me like relationships and addictions and lifestyle things that I was so used to and ingrained in that I remember feeling like, I know that I have to let go of this in order to really follow Jesus. It's a cost and an urgency. Some of you guys, you're trying to follow Jesus. And I know you're trying to follow Jesus. But you're doing it and you're just holding on to the back, to what's in your past. And Jesus is saying, let go of that and come with me. It's not easy. It's worth it and it's better. As Jesus, with all these people, is essentially saying this, that if you want to be on the road from, with me, you cannot allow anything to interfere with that commitment. It's about being all in. There's, a, there's no room for compromise. There's no room for excuse. And there's no room for being half-hearted. And it's difficult. So what does this mean for us? I don't know if you, you find this interesting. I do, as you read this. We don't know what these men did after Jesus talked to them, right? I mean, Luke doesn't tell us. We don't know if they, if they chose to follow Jesus or if they were like, oh my gosh, you're right. Nope, that's not for me, and they walked away. We don't know, and it's almost like he does this, and we have this question hanging for us to answer. And the question that we have to answer is, am I going to follow Jesus first, right now, no looking back, or not? That's the question we have to ask for you and me today. Is this, is this where we're at? And for some of you, what that means is that you're going to become a Christian today. And you're going to follow Jesus. That today is the day that everything changes for you. That you've been kind of around here and maybe you've been, you've been kind of here and you've been gathering with Doxa and you've been gathering around the Bible being taught and you've been kind of having that sense in you like this is what I'm missing, right? And if you're anything like me, this was my process of becoming a Christian that you sit there and something inside you is stirring and you're like, man, this is it, but this is going to cost me everything. Like, and then you, you have that feeling and then you finally get out of here and you're like, okay, whew, I can breathe. I don't have to do that now. And then you come back and you kind of feel that again and you feel this stirring. God is, is bringing you to himself. Have you felt that? Jesus is saying to you, don't let anything or anyone get in the way of coming to me today. It's urgent. Eternity is on the other end. For others, guys, maybe you've sat in these seats and you've heard the Bible being taught. 
and you hear about obedience and listening, right? Last week, hearing the word of God and responding to the word of God, and you hear about obedience, and you hear about baptism, and you watch people get baptized, and you know that baptism isn't like this salvation thing that only Jesus saves, but, but Jesus tells us it's an issue of obedience, that we follow Jesus into our baptism. And you, you hear this and you, you're like, man, I don't know why I haven't done it, but I know that I'm like disobeying God. Like, maybe I should do this. And you just sit here week after week and you, and you think about that. Guys, maybe this is the day where you decide like, okay, I'm actually not going to let anything get in the way, even my, my, my fear of this or whatever and my laziness. I'm just going to do what Jesus says today, and I'm going to start doing that. And you follow Jesus into baptism. Maybe for others of you, you realize that there's some area of sin in your life. And God keeps putting his finger on it. You, go, you come to, to church like this on a Sunday morning, and God puts his finger on something. You know that you're living in sin. You know that it's killing your relationship with God. You go to connection group, and maybe you're tempted just to be quiet and hide because you don't want it to come to the surface. And there's this issue of sin in your life that, that you know that it's time to bring it out to the light and to repent. That you know it's time for you to wholeheartedly and fully by the grace and the power of God, through the Holy Spirit of God in your life, to live fully for Jesus and bring your sin up front, even though it is gonna be so uncomfortable. It's gonna be like exposing yourself in the sense of like, everybody's just gonna see how broken you are. But the best part about the family of God is that they see that and they're like, oh man, it's about time you just acknowledged it because I'm broken too. We're all jacked up and now we can move forward and we can actually walk because you're not looking backwards now. Now you can plow a straight line. This is what Jesus is saying and you bring that to the light. Guys, Jesus is saying, come follow me. There is this urgent call that he's making to all of us and it's a costly call, but it's worth everything. It's the greatest joy and the greatest blessing to walk with Jesus as friend and savior. And I pray, guys, that you would do that today because there's every, in every one of our lives, there's something that needs to die. There's something that we need to let go of so we can follow Jesus. And so I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna have the band come up here and I'm just gonna let us just to sit in that question for a minute. I don't wanna move too quickly past this because really I want you to get with Jesus right now and just ask him. Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know my ways and see if there's any grievous way in me that he would show you that, not to make you feel bad, but to help you to move forward. Let's pray. God, thanks for, for your word. Um, in the midst of, of so much challenge, I'm reminded of the fact that you're a good father. You've revealed yourself as a father to show us something of your love. That you want us to know that while there's such challenge and there's such a cost to following you and there's an urgency, God, that there's just this loving invitation that you're here, you're loving on all of us. You say these things to us because you want us to know what is true. You want us to find eternal life and life as you've prepared it for us by us just saying yes to you and following you. And so, Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would just break into every single one of our lives as we sit here just reflecting on the words that you've just taught us. Holy Spirit, would you just light up the scriptures in our mind? 
teach us something, remind us of something, bring it to the surface and empower us by your grace through your spirit to have the courage to follow you in it, knowing that eternal life and blessing and friendship with you is on the other side. We just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.